are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. It is good to be here, good to uh, be in a place, in a sanctuary where God's presence is. Uh, My name is Chris Holcomb. I am one of the pastors here, and it's always a a joy and a privilege when I get an opportunity uh, to come and open up God's Word and share a few things uh, that I think are going to be important for us. But before we get started, I do, I want to play a little game, all right? So maybe something you're not necessarily used to, but a small game. Uh, And all you're going to have to do in this game is raise your hand. That's literally it, okay? So everyone's got to participate. There's no reason why you can't. This is a game called Like or Love, all right? And here's how it works. I'm going to say something. And then you're going to decide if you like it. So I'm going to say, hey, do you like this? And if it's something you like, then I want you to raise your hand. And then a like thing is like, yeah, you know, I like that. Like I might go to a restaurant. I like that. I like to go there. But then I'm going to ask you, but do you love this thing? And that's where you've got to do some self-examination. You've got to start asking yourself, okay, do I really love this? Like, there's nothing else I would rather have but this. So let's go ahead and play, okay? So we're going to start with an easy one. Here we go. Do you like ice cream? Go ahead, raise your hand. Yep. You like it. It's good. It's sugary goodness. You love it. Pastor Rick likes it a lot. Here we go. You go to a restaurant. You're always choosing the dessert that comes with ice cream. No matter what. Like when you're hungry late at night, you're heading to Brahms, okay? You're going to Andy's and getting a $16 ice cream, all right? Like you can't stop yourself. Do you love ice cream? Raise your hand. Love it. Like you just love it. We all know that Rick loves ice cream. It's what he would choose. All right, good, good. All right, here we go. Uh, Country music. You like it, you know, give you a little Garth Brooks, put me 101.9, I'm going to be, you know, feeling good. You know, I love a good song about a truck and a dog, and it's good. You're like, okay, you listen to nothing else besides Christian, we know, we know you listen to Christian, okay? Country music, it is your thing, you love it, I mean, it is what you love, very good, I love it. I like it, here we go, Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, like it. There is no other fast food restaurant besides Chick-fil-A. You love it. Keep that hand up real high. And I get it. You guys are supporting a good cause. You know, the kingdom of God. They're Christian. Closed on Sundays. We love it. Love Chick-fil-A. How about this one? What about math? Come on, math. You like math. All right? Raise your hand. Hey, don't be ashamed. Hey, keep that hand high. All right? Okay? You, You love math. It was your favorite subject in school. There's no doubt that math is your thing. Math. You love math. Listen, don't be ashamed. You have more money than all of us put together, probably. All right. Hey, here we go. Pastor Rick. You like him. He's a, he's a great pastor. He's a good friend. He's under, keep it up if you love him. It's awesome. I love it. A lot of fans. A lot of fans. It's good. Like and love. Here's the thing I want to kind of begin to talk about. Love is one of the simplest Yet it's also one of the most complicated concepts. Like in its nature, we think of love and it's like, it should be so easy, yet it's often so complicated. How is love so hurtful? How is it so hard? How how do we give love? How do we receive love? Like why is this concept that should be so simple? I love everybody and and it, it should be so simple, yet it's so difficult at times. What is that point between we really like something 
And what does that happen for when we really, really like something? Does it switch over to something that we really love? Like what happens? What are the distinguishing markers between those, those things? You and I would both probably agree that things like uh, society and culture and, and media and TV and all those things and books and different things, they've often skewed our perspective of love. Uh, we live in a generation that really struggles with these distinguishing markers between like and love. And what does love actually mean? And what does it actually look like? So here's something, a picture, an image that I want you to wrestle with this morning. And I just want you to kind of suspend it in your mind as we move through the scripture and as we move through the story and as we close today. Here's the image. You have an opportunity to sit in front of Jesus in the flesh. You got an opportunity to sit in front of Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus looks directly into your eyes in a conversation where no one else is around. It's just you and him. And Jesus says to you, do you love me? Do you love me? I think for a second, if I was in that, the image that I would have if Jesus and I were sitting together and Jesus looked at me and said, Chris, do you love me? My next statement might be to want to wanna justify, what, what, what do you mean exactly by love? What do you actually mean? Do you love me? This passage of scripture we're going to read is in John 21, but I need to set up a little context for it. Uh, I can't just jump into it because if you don't understand the whole story, you don't understand the gravity and the weight of the words that we're about to read. They're often words that we can tend to just read by and, and we just move on, but there is some serious gravity and weight to the conversation that we're about to dive in. So here's the context. Jesus was at the Last Supper with his disciples. He had, he had uh, drank from the cup. He had broken the bread. He, he had started to tell his disciples many things that they were starting to not understand. He, he was, the disciples were starting to realize, like, man, where is he going? What is happening? What is Jesus saying? In fact, he, he says to his disciples, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. And his disciples are kind of like, no, I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus leaves that supper. He goes into the garden to pray with his disciples. Roman guards find themselves uh, in the garden. They end up arresting Jesus. They, they hold him. He's tried. He, he goes. He's crucified on a cross. You know the story. Track with me. He's dead. He's buried in a tomb. All hope is lost. Disciples and followers of Jesus have scattered everywhere. And they're finding themselves in this place of like, what, what I thought life how it was going. This is not what I had planned. I didn't see this happening. I thought, I thought Jesus was going to be the Messiah. I, I thought this was the real deal. But he's gone. So hope was lost. And then all of a sudden we know the story. All of a sudden, three days later, when hope was gone, Jesus comes and he's resurrected. And what once was dead is alive again. And now all of a sudden there's this whole new reality that people who are followers of Jesus get to live into. That death couldn't hold him. But he is alive and he is living. And friends, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the reason why you and I are here this morning. 
That's the reason why we walk into this door week after week after week because we recognize the world around us that there's not so much hope out there but inside of here and inside of here. Because I believe that Jesus Christ is alive. There's hope. That's the gospel. Friends, if you can't get excited about that, if you can't get excited about that, if that isn't the foundation of what is in your life, then, then I don't know. I'm not sure what we're doing here. Friends, Jesus is alive. Amen? He's alive. And he shows up after being resurrected three times. One of those times is to his disciples. Another time is to Thomas, one of his other disciples. And the third time Jesus shows up is in this scene in John 21. Jesus walks up on scene with a small group of his disciples, including Simon Peter, who are off just offshore fishing. And he walks up and his disciples begin to look at him and they're like, that's Jesus. And Jesus from the boat shouts, cast your nets on the other side. And so they take their nets and they throw it on the other side and they catch so many fish that they say they can hardly even pull it up on shore. And Jesus looks at his disciples, the resurrected Jesus looks at his disciples and says, grab some of that fish and come and eat breakfast. Now raise your hand if you like breakfast. Keep it up if you love you some good breakfast. And that's the scene in John 21 that we're going to read starting right here at verse 13. They're eating breakfast together with the resurrected Messiah. And this is what it is. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you, Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, so take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him, For the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. I want to wrestle with another question, and it's a simple one, uh, but it's often a really difficult question for us to deal with. The question is this, have you ever failed? Have you ever failed? Have you ever fallen short? Have you ever had an expectation that you didn't quite meet? Uh, If you're like me, when I started wrestling with this question this week, have I ever failed? Uh, It it started slow, and then it started to speed up. And then you start to realize, boy, i got to quit going down this rabbit trail. I've failed quite a bit in my life. Have you ever failed? It's less about the incident that I want you to think about and more about the feeling. 
But maybe a better question is, how did you feel when you failed? How did you feel when you failed? I got this uh, story of a time that I failed. I was a senior in high school, and uh, there's something that you need to know about me, okay? I I love sports, all right? Go Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs tonight, going to win the AFC Championship. So excited about it. I love sports. I love to play all kinds of sports, but you would never, in a conversation, hear me describe myself as an athlete. I just would never do it. You'd never be in a conversation, I'd be like, man, I'm quite the athlete. All right, you're probably shocked, I know. No, you just wouldn't. I love sports, I love to play them all. I, I dabble, uh, I played in men's league, uh, in the BFC league, and I averaged 2.2 points for the season, all right? Fantastic year I had. But my senior year, I wanted to do well. I wanted to play, I wanted to get some more playing time. I, I just, I wanted to do well, so I really kind of committed myself to it. So one day, we're in uh, weightlifting uh, for the whole football team, and we walk in, and the coach said, hey guys, I'm going to divide you into teams. Today's going to be a little different. We're only going to do four lifts. So we're going to do deadlift, we're going to do squats, we're going to do a sled push, and uh, we're going to do bench press. Four lifts. Every time you do a rep on one of those, you get points for your team. The winners don't have to do conditioning. I'm like, yes, let's go. I hate running. He said, here's the kicker. On all of those lifts, you're going to do your body weight. So you're going to step on this scale. We're going to get your weight. And from that point forward, on all four of those lifts, you've got to lift your body weight. All the little guys on the football team are like, I was made for this. I mean, they're like, yes, I can do my body weight 500 times. Every lineman in the room was like, oh, no. This is the worst thing ever. So one by one, these guys are stepping on this scale, and they're like, all right, starting running back and super strong and healthy, body of a Greek god, 175. He's like, yeah, I can do that a million times. But I step up. I step up on the scale, and he goes, all right, Holcomb, 263. You're going to be doing 265 pounds on every single lift. I'm like, oh my goodness. So I start to think to myself, okay, deadlift, I can do that a few times. I can lift 265. I start to think squat, I can do that a few times. That's not a problem. Sled push, I can do that. I can push 265. But bench press, I cannot bench press 265 pounds. And so when bench press comes, I I whisper to my coach. I'm like, coach, coach, coach. Hey, hey, I can't do this. Coach is like, Holcomb, you got this. I'm like, no, coach, really, really, like, honestly, I'm, I'm nervous. I really can't bench press this much. Like, I already know I can't do it. Like, I know I can't. He's like, Holcomb, you got this. Come on now. So I lay down on the bench. My team is huddled around me. They're chanting my name. They're pumping me up. The whole time there is nothing but fear inside of me because I know not only I, I can't even get close to this, I, I can barely do 20 push-ups. Like, and so I grab the bar, and I'm like, Coach, I can't do this. He's like, come on, Holcomb, you got this. I'm like, please, Coach, don't do this. My whole team, Holcomb, Holcomb. And he lifts the bar off, and I can feel it. It's so heavy. And I'm like, wow, this is how heavy I am. And so I'm like, oh, my goodness. Soon as the coach lets it go, the bar immediately, whoosh, onto my chest. The only thing I can do, my team is screaming, come on. I'm going, help, help. Coach immediately grabs it and puts it back up in silence. From just this emotion and energy to absolute silence. 
And I got myself off the bench. My teammates are like, oh, he, he really he really couldn't do it. He, he was saying he couldn't. And I get up and I just quietly walk out of the gym. I just walked out. I remember I walked out into the hallway and I just kind of stood there absolutely humiliated. I mean, in this overwhelming embarrassment, this overwhelming shame, uh, this feeling of like, man, I, I am not going back in there. Like, there's no way I want to see my teammates. I don't want to see my coach. I, I honestly, I just want to walk away. So the question I'm asking is, is less about remembering a time that you failed, because we've all failed. Then if you think you're the only one, then, then that's the enemy just telling you a lie over it. We've all failed. But I'm more asking you to remember the feeling of what it was like when you failed. That feeling of shame, humiliation, uh, anger, embarrassment, that feeling of failure. It's a tough one for us. And so here's, here's what I want to talk about. So, so you have this story in John chapter 21. And without the context and without wrestling with and remembering the feelings of our own failure, we can oftentimes miss the gravity and the weight of what is happening. Because in John 21, this, this conversation between Jesus and Simon Peter is like somebody putting a magnifying glass on what it's like for somebody to look at a conversation between God and us. It's like looking at it through a magnifying glass. You see, Peter, he's everybody's favorite character in the movie. If you've read the Bible at all, you're going to know that, man, Peter, he's a wild one. Like, he's one of the disciples that makes the Bible pretty interesting. He's the guy who, who in the waves and the wind, Jesus is walking on water, and he's like, I can do that too. And he jumps out into the boat. He's the guy who, who as, as they're coming to arrest Jesus, he whips out a sword to cut a guard's head off, but he's no good with the sword and only gets his ear. Like, he's the guy who, who you're, he, he's the, he's the, he's never, you're never going to ask him to be the godfather of your children, but he's the friend that you're always like, you want to go on vacation? Like, he's the friend that we all have that's like, we want Peter around because he's a good time, but man, he's a little wild. Here's the thing about Peter. He's so relatable. He is so relatable. He lives on these mountain highs, and he has these painful valley lows. Feel similar? You start to find yourself in this story? He... he deeply loves God, yet his actions sometimes don't quite line up. In chapter 13, Jesus tells him, he goes, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. Tell me where you're going. I'll give my whole life to you. And Jesus looks him right in the eyes and says, actually, no, Peter, you won't. Before morning comes, you're going to have denied me three times. Before morning comes, you're going to have denied me three times. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. So this scene is the very first time that Simon Peter is standing before Jesus, 
knowing what he had just done, knowing the failure that he had just gone through, knowing the fact that Jesus had just told him that he would deny him, and then he actually did it. That's the scene. And I picture Simon Peter standing there after breakfast. And I picture him head down with the weight of the world on his shoulders. You know why? Because when I failed, you know what my posture is every single time I failed? Is this. It's this. It's head down, looking at the ground. Not wanting to look up, not wanting to face that failure, not wanting to open up and be vulnerable and all those kinds of things to, to go through the process of reconciling that failure. I'm head down. And I imagine Simon Peter is looking at the ground and, and he's going, here it comes. Here it comes. Jesus, he, he's, he's going to lay into me. This is my time. I deserve this. Come on, Jesus, just get it over with. And he's expecting Jesus to go, Peter. I can't believe you. I even told you that you were going to deny me, and you did it anyway. I mean, how can you do it? How can you keep messing up? How can you keep following me? I tell you over and over again, this is the way I want you to live. You've seen me do these. I mean, how many more times, Peter? How many more times are you going to keep living like this? I believe Peter's like, come on, bring it on, Jesus. Come on, tell me all the things I need to know. Not Jesus. The only thing that Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? You know what he's saying to him? He's going, Simon, son of John, Simon Peter, do, do you love me more than this life? I, I mean, I see you. You're, you're getting the fishing business back going again. Hey, do you love me more than this? You can create a good life right here, Peter. You, you can have a really good life. You, you, can, you can start to build this business back up. You can have some income. You can, you can find some stable ground. You can have a family. Do you love me more than this life, though? Do you love me more than these other disciples? Do you love me more than family, friends? Do you love me? And Simon Peter, looking at the ground. Lord, yes, yes, I love you. I love you. Then he says, so feed my sheep. But I believe Simon Peter's going, no, 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 no. I'm not a good shepherd. Look, I cannot feed your sheep. A good shepherd lays his life down for his flock. A good shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one. Look, I've proven to you, Jesus, I'm not a good shepherd. I do love you, but, but you've got the wrong guy. I'm not a good shepherd. Second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. But look, Jesus, you know my past. You, you know what I just did. I just denied you. I had every opportunity to tell the world that I loved you, and I couldn't do it. Just, I couldn't do it. Take care of my flock. Every time Jesus says, feed my sheep, take care of my flock, what he's saying to Simon Peter is, hey, I don't care about your past. I still love you. I'm still calling you. And I want to give you a new future. So he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this time, Peter, who's hurt, and he's saddened, he says, Lord, 
You know all things. If there's anybody in this world, it's you that knows my heart. You're the only person that can look deep inside my soul and know that I love you. I realize that on the outside, it doesn't look always like that. I I realize that it's a bit chaotic. I, I get that. But you, Lord, you're the only one that truly can know my heart. And yes, Lord, I do. I, I love you. And Jesus says, I love you. I'm still calling you. I don't care about your past. I care about your future. So feed my sheep. You see, I don't think it's a coincidence I don't think it's a coincidence that, that Jesus in this passage asked Simon Peter three times, do you love me? I don't think it's a, it's a coincidence. When we read it in our passage, it feels a bit uh, repetitive. It feels like, man, why is he asking so many times? But I think what, what Jesus is trying to say to Simon Peter is that, uh, that you denied me three times, and I'm giving you three more times to just, to just let you know that I love you and I don't care. The shame that you feel and the guilt that you feel and all the things that come along with failure. I'm going to wipe it away. You see, I believe so strongly that if Simon Peter would have denied him four times, five times, six, seven, ten, thirty, no matter how many times he found himself in a failing situation in his relationship with God, I believe with everything in me, it does not matter how many times he'd have found himself in that spot. Jesus would have said, I don't care much about your past. I always care about your future. And I'm going to ask you over and over and over again, I'm not going to bring up your past. I'm going to ask you, do you love me? Do you love me? Can you get to that place where you still, in your heart, I love you, God. I'll follow you anywhere. Do you love me? And Jesus is going to say, then I got a future for you. You see, it's not Jesus' intention to remind Peter of his bitter failure. And it is not the intention of God this morning for you to sit in a seat and be reminded of all of the times in which we failed. And if you hear that message, then it is not the hope and message of God. It was never his intention to remind Peter of his bitter failure. That's on Peter. That's on us. That's the way we feel after we failed. It is his intention in this conversation to say that in despite of your past, I'm still calling you to a new future. I'm still calling you. You see this, Christ's love and grace is not a condition. His love and His grace for us, it is not conditional on our past. Thank the Lord. It's not conditional on our past. It is unconditional for our future. His love for us is unconditional and it is constantly moving us into a new future. In verse 18, I'm going to paraphrase. In verse 18 of this passage, he, 
he says to Simon Peter after the third time he asked him. He says, when you're younger, when you're younger, you could get dressed on your own. You could go the places you wanted to go. You could do what you wanted to do. But now that you're older, now that you're in relationship with me, stretch out your hand. Just stretch out your hand. And Jesus is going to grab it. And he's going to lead you to places that you didn't know you wanted to go. That you didn't want to go. But you need to go. Stretch out your hand. And he'll grab it. And he'll lead you. And you'll be in a following relationship with Jesus. So today we have some time. We're going to sing a, a song or two. And here's what I want. I want to. I want this to be a place of worship. I mean, you came here to be in the presence of God. You maybe. You maybe you didn't know that, but that, that's ultimately the reason why you're here. And God's presence is here. And I would hate for us to miss an opportunity to have some moments of prayer and worship with our Lord. And so this can be a broad thing. Maybe it's a moment for you in which you're going. Man, I, if I were, I don't know if I could respond today that I fully love God, then maybe that's a moment for you to come and surrender. Maybe it's a moment of prayer for you in, in a way of going, man, there are people in my life that don't know this loving God. Maybe, it's a, maybe you need to pray on behalf of so many people in your life that are stuck, head down, stuck in their failure. They can't quite, for whatever reason, just pick up the love and grace that Jesus is offering. Maybe you're stuck in a place of failure. Maybe you can't get by something. Maybe you can't get past something. This is your church. This is your space. This is holy ground. And God wants to use it right now in your life. So we're going to sing, and you can stand and worship. You can stay in your chair and pray. You're welcome to come down to the altars and pray. Spend whatever moments you have lost in the presence of Jesus. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.